Hi, welcome to New Zealand Vegan Podcast, episode 41. I have a very special guest on the show today. Corey Wren has um, given me a moment of her time. She's extremely busy at the moment, so I really appreciate her coming on. Welcome to the show, Corey. Thank you. Sorry it took me so long. <laughs> no problem. It's good, definitely good to finally hook up, but um, I understand that you're studying and you're doing all kinds of things. So, Corey, this is the first time you and I have ever even talked, uh, um, apart from um, on the internet um, and writing. So it's really good to finally meet you. And um, I just want to um, know a little bit more about you, what you've been doing. How did you um, get involved in all this? Okay. Um, actually, I'm from Appalachia, a very small town in the south. I don't know if you're familiar with the geography over here, but it's uh, very rare for a vegan to sprout from there. So um, I started out by myself. I went vegetarian at 13, and I know we all hate PETA, but through their literature, I found out about veganism. And as soon as I came to college at age 17, I went vegan. And it really wasn't until the... Um, Vegan Freak podcast, I found out about Gary Francione, and I really got moving with the abolitionist movement. But before that, I was pretty active with a, a student group at Virginia Tech, where I did my undergrad and my master's. And I was actually president there for a while and did a lot of activism and was mostly an abolitionist group, which was very nice. And uh, then I moved here to Colorado, where I'm doing my PhD in sociology. And started a group out here, which didn't turn out so well. Uh, we can get into that later if you want. And... I'm doing my dissertation on the uh, vegan movement, and Gary Francione has so very kindly agreed to be on my committee, and it's a total honor, and he's really been helping me a lot. I mean, you know, you think you know everything about the abolitionist movement, but then, he, you know, he jumps in there and he says, well, wait about, what about this, and what about that, and oh, it's just, it's really, it's, it's really cool to have him on my committee. So that's basically it, uh, and right now the big news is I'm taking Bernie Rollins' animal rights course, his seminar in the philosophy department, and um, I would argue that it's not really animal rights in the least, it's more animal welfare. So that's, yeah, I've been tweeting about that a lot lately, it's, it's interesting. That is interesting. Now, help us out here. I, as you know, am much newer, and um, so I don't know who he is and um, I would love to just um, know like what has been your interaction with him I mean I applaud you because it sounds like you're the only one in your class who is coming with the abolitionist perspective I mean it, that's quite common but I really applaud you because I've seen um, you've been tweeting on Twitter and it can be overwhelming sometimes so so just give us a little idea of what what is exactly going on? Because this is a university. He's he's called an animal rights seminar. So this is a person who's supposedly representing animal rights. What's going yes. on? <laughs> okay, Bernie Rollin is um, he's pretty well known in the welfarist movement. I guess animal rights in general. <clears throat> what he does is he he specializes in animal research, but he also does a lot with the uh, agriculture aspect, and he does a lot of theory also. And this class he's teaching is called Animal Rights and it has a little bit of philosophy background, but he really, it's really all about welfare and he just uses every opportunity to attack me because he feels personally attacked because, you know, as he said in class last week, I stand for everything you know, that he doesn't and his life work to me is totally wrong. So, I mean, I can understand from his perspective if this is what he's dedicated his life to, and here I come and say everything you're doing is counterproductive. It gets pretty fired up in the class. But the problem is, is the kids in this class, they're philosophy majors and a couple of people who are just vaguely interested in animals. You know, they work with uh, cats and dogs or they're veterinarian students and animal testers and things like that. So they come to this class and you would think it would be an excellent opportunity for Bernie to talk about, you know, animal issues and animal rights and things like that, but all he does is prop up these institutions. There's a guy in the class who actually, there's actually two of them who do animal testing, and they're just best friends, and it astonishes me. And the first day of class, he introduced one of the kids, and he said, you know, raise your hand if you think he's a bad person for testing on animals. Well, of course, I raised my hand, and I was the only one. And it's just and he completely denies veganism, and that's what today I just I'm actually fresh from his class, so I'm pretty fired up right now. I'm probably not as articulate as I would be because I'm really emotional from it. Because uh, we're talking about animal agriculture this week, and he just completely denounces veganism. It won't make any change. What he does is making real change and reducing suffering right now. And I, I 
come back with, you know, you might be reducing suffering right now, some tiny little negligible percentage, but in the long run, you're perpetuating the system and you're making people feel more comfortable about it. Well, it comes out today that he totally believes that this incremental thing will work and, you know, eventually will change your mind. And when it comes down to it, he doesn't even think that there's a problem with animal use, period. Yeah, there you go. That's the that's the key that you have to get to before you can even really get to what makes them operate. I mean, I think that that you you're probably the best thing that's ever happened to that class. Um, he's probably yeah, never had. So. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I'm sure he loves it. There's someone to challenge him. He's that kind of personality. Well, it's also good for the other students. My goodness, I'm so glad you're there. We need abolitionist students in every class. Can you just tell me a little bit more about what exact? I mean, he's obviously a vegan, right? <laughs> oh, he's not. <laughs> Oh, he's not a vegan. <laughs> no, he denounces veganism. Actually, in class tonight, we were talking about humane farming. Here I am, the lonely vegan, talking about what a myth humane farming is. And he's like, you know what, guys? I can hook you up with the number for my farmer who does, you know, his stuff's really good. And you can see where the animals come from. So he's actually promoting meat, not even like, talking about, you know, it's, it's mind-boggling to me how you can teach an animal rights seminar and denounce veganism and think it's okay to eat animals and then talk about their rights. Oh it's my madness. God. That's insane. I actually, because like I say, I'm still catching up with all the sort of the people involved. And when, when I just assume that, I, I do tend to assume, wrongly obviously, that you know anybody who's kind of like, yeah, when you said denounces veganism, I thought you meant like the other people who support welfare who denounce the, 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 um, you know, the, the method of promoting veganism. I didn't actually realize that he himself wasn't a vegan. Well, oh, then no. there you He's go. all the way against it. All the way against it. He's actually um, a, a good colleague of Temple Grandin, who also ter- teaches at my school. I'm at Colorado State University. I forgot to mention that. So he said he actually claims he got her the job here, and he's quite proud of that. Uh, I mean, and you know Temple Grandin. She's you know pro meat all the way. You know we need meat to survive and all that madness. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> now that puts a whole new perspective on things. I mean, now I'm kind of like I almost don't know what to say because I'm like, well. Obviously, he d- he eats animals, so he's he's number. One. I mean, so how does he promote animal? What why is he allowed to call himself an animal rights professor? What what is his promotion? Is it that is it the same sort of story that um, he's representing the right not to suffer as much kind yes. of thing? Yes, that's exactly it. You got it, nailed it. He's a- he's against suffering and he wants to reduce suffering. Ah, why does he want to reduce suffering? If he eats them, what does he care? I don't understand. Do you know what I mean? He, he doesn't find he doesn't think death is a harm. So it's as long as we treat them well, and and there's no way we'll ever stop using them. So we might as well reduce what we can. And I'm utopian. He's flatly called me utopian for believing that you know we could, if we had the resources, have a real vegan movement. And I called him out on it. Last week, he's like, well, the vegan movement, look at it. There's nothing. There's like 1% vegans. And I said, because leaders like you in the movement denounce veganism and never even give us a chance. So, oh, it's my fault now. I said, yeah, it is, actually. <laughs> well said. Yeah, if you and, New- and Ingrid Newkirk and all those idiots got together and pulled your resources and, and used your prestige to represent veganism as a viable solution – then it wouldn't be so, uh, you know, down in the gutter right now. It never got a, a real chance. Well, no, but I mean, this is a guy who's not vegan himself. So uh, right from that moment, we're already, we're already. I mean, that that puts a whole new spin on it. So I think it's great that you're there just to get him thinking about his own confusion. I mean, you know, do you challenge him on like how, you know, when you say right, um, you know. Uh, Bernie, have you studied any rights philosophy? You know, how can you, you know, what, there is really um, a big discrepancy between the the word right and if you still want to enslave and exploit. I mean, it's sort of logical. How does he respond to things like that? Because I know you've been challenging him on it. (laughs) Well, the interesting thing is uh, one of the required readings for the class is uh, a book he wrote about 30 years ago, which is one of the founding books in the movement. It's called Animal Rights and Human Morality, and uh, I did read the book for the class, and the first two chapters, I mean, I was right along with. I, I didn't disagree with the thing. There's no reason for us to, you know, put some distinction between humans and non-humans, and if there's no real distinction, then why should we treat them differently, blah, 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 blah. I mean, the rights theory he has is sound until he gets to practice, and when he gets to practice, he says, well, there's no way the world's going to go vegan, so 
I'm just going to have to go back on what I said and make some kind of like exceptions. So he understands the right theory. He just can't operationalize it in the real world, I guess. Well, I mean, he can't, you know, he can't operationalize it in his own personal shopping. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, have you directly challenged him on why he himself, if he understands that we have no right to treat um, non-humans differently and therefore obviously we can't justify enslaving and exploiting and eating because we wouldn't do that to other humans and call it morally um, acceptable on his own personal non-veganism how how is he do you concentrate on that much or does he does he try to talk more about a movement kind of thing I'm more like the movement I know in the first class he started going off about veganism and so I specifically asked him I said are you yourself vegan and he he got very angry and he was like that's a very personal question, and I don't answer personal questions, which, of course, means, no, I'm not vegan. But uh, he set up that boundary to where we weren't allowed to make it personal. But, of course, he makes it very personal on me, and, and which is why this class is so frustrating because it's really the whole class against me. Because Bernie has this personality. If anyone has met him or seen him speak, he's got this very demanding, like, like don't mess with me personality and it's it's very intimidating for students you know to stand up to him and speak their own opinion i mean of course with animal rights i can't just sit there and be quiet i have to say something but it's very difficult to argue with him he he and he also contradicts himself a lot and it's just it's he doesn't make for good debate <laughs> so uh but I have tried. I did try to get on the personal level. He tries to steer away from that. All right. So if you try to do that in class, it's just basically forbidden to even come up. So you can't even get him to actually have a class discussion about his own veganism. Because, you see, that's the reason. I mean, he's a living example of, um, you know, what what we're up against. So he's a living example. I mean, if a leader, quote-unquote, is not even willing to address his own non-veganism, and yet he is calling himself a leader, and he is calling himself, you know, a writer on rights, and he teaches on rights, then it's it's just proof in, of is right there that that's, that is one of the reasons why the movement has stagnated and is so non-vegan. So he's very frustrating for you. I really admire you for for being in that class now is it a required um teaching or did you take it is it required for your course no um i'm in the sociology department he's philosophy and i only i took it as an elective because i'm doing my dissertation on it and i figured it'd be a good excuse to get credit for doing some you know theory research <laughs> really and the interesting thing was i didn't mention this but last semester i was getting my committee together and you have to by default have a fourth member on your committee who's outside of your department well, you know, I knew right away I didn't agree with Bernie in the least, but I figured, you know, he's well-versed in the theory and he would be a good choice. So I sent him an email and told him I was an animal rights activist and a vegan. And he wrote back and flatly denied it. <laughs> he would had nothing to do with it. You know, I mean, that's just terrible. I mean, here I am trying to do something. Then this semester when I actually did meet him and I spoke with him one-on-one -on -one and I brought it back up, and mentioned that Gary Francione was on there, and, you know, he backed away. There's no way he'd touch it now. But I think that's very upsetting for someone. He devotes his life, supposedly, to saving animals. And here I am trying to do the same, but because he thinks I'm so radical and utopian, he wants nothing to do with me. Was that his reasoning? Was because, do you think it was the fact that you were promoting veganism? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, and abolitionist, the abolitionist part of it, too. And he told me the first day of class because I went up to him afterwards because he, he totally like tore me apart to make an example of me. And after class, I asked him, I said, is this going to be doable for me? Will I be able to pass this class knowing that I disagree fundamentally with your views? And he said, you know, I'll be all right. But he expected or hoped that by the end of the course, I will have changed my mind because 50 years from now when I look in the mirror – he doesn't want me to know, look in the mirror and see that I've done nothing to help animals. I've done nothing. How many vegans? He asked me, how many vegans you even made? Veganism doesn't help. How many vegans you even made? Well, it's like, you know, a few. And he's like, oh, okay, a few. Wow. Big change there. But, but it's insane because the fact that you're vegan is is helping animals. You're not contributing to it. Oh, it's that's Okay. I, don't, I actually don't know what to say. I didn't expect this. I had no idea he wasn't a vegan, and yet he's teaching an animal rights course. Well, there you go. That's just a, um, another example about. So is he? Um, so he actually would be. Does he 
do things for Peter and HSUS and all those kinds of people? I don't know about Peter per se, but he does do a lot of work for those kind of organizations. They they will send him stuff and ask him for his opinion. Uh, he'll do talks for them. Uh, the other thing he does is he will cooperate with the animal agriculture people, and he will go give talks for them at their conventions or whatever. And he has this philosophy he calls uh, judo versus sumo. And this just sums up the welfarist movement. He says that, you know, if you go at your opponent like a sumo wrestler, just head on, and you're not willing to compromise, you know, you're, what you know is right, and blah, 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 blah. You're not going to get anywhere. It's head on, you know, you push against each other. But for him, he chooses to do the judo, whereby you use their, their weaknesses to your advantage. And so he rationalizes that if he goes to these cattle conventions and tells them that, you know, uh, you know, dehorning is bad for business or something, then, you know, this, he'll, he'll get a victory for the animals, you know, by twisting around what they are, you know, it's just like, what are you, you're going into cahoots with them. That's all this is. You're taking the easy. Well, he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand the abolition anyway. He probably hasn't read it because he, he just can't because it's um, going to have to make him face his own, you know, hypocrisy. Abolitionist movement is not going after your opponent. It's not going to the industrial <laughs> exploiters and saying, well, you know, we demand that you, you know, we're talking, it's, it's totally the judo if you want to do that because we're going to the consumers and we're saying, you know, don't buy the products. I mean, production's not going to change until demand changes. So he doesn't even understand the theory that he's trying to fight against. He won't allow you to talk about it, number one. Number two, what is his goal? He's not vegan. So what is his goal to feed six billion humans on animal products um, and do it as humanely and all these kinds of things? I mean, what is his actual goal? when In 50 years' time, when he looks in the mirror, what, is he, what does he think he's going to see? Because they've been doing it for quite a long time. Right. And that's his big argument with me is that what's veganism done? There's like very few vegans, there's like a million vegans, and I come back with the old Gary Francione argument, well, welfare, welfareism has been around for 200 years, and guess what, we use more animals today, and in more disgusting and gruesome ways than ever. Well, yeah, the vegan movement has just begun, and if, if only they had listened to Gary Francione um, back in the 1980s, we would have a sizable vegan movement um, now, so we've just begun, and I'm noticing differences because there's more more uh, people promoting this philosophy on the world wide web, which is the medium that we have, and you know it works, it works. Okay, so nobody's done it before. So that's what makes me really laugh about these guys. The reason that there's hardly any vegans is because you guys are saying that it's really hard to do. It's it's really elitist to promote, so we can't promote it. I mean, what do you expect? He himself denounces veganism. So how why you know, and he's a leader. So and he's got some sort of mental block because you know what? The abolitionist theory uh, um, completely and utterly confronts his personal morals as a non-vegan. Whereas the welfareists think he's a hero because he's going out there and trying to talk to cattle farmers about how they shouldn't dehorn. So the, the, the abolitionist is, 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 is actually a sort of a threat to his own personal security as, you know, a person who can um, call themselves an animal rights activist or whatever and yet um, still consume animals and, and still be happy in that hypocrisy. So a lot of it is, is personal fear. Um, people don't want to face their own their own self. So this is a whole new ball game because I'm used to vegans in the movement like, you know, the leaders who are vegan who think that veganism is not going to work and they blow my mind. But this is a guy who's, okay, so now now, what chances have you had to actually promote the philosophy in class? Because I'm very interested in, in it just getting out there even to the other students. Yeah. This is the terrible part about it. Uh, you know, he's so overbearing. Uh, it makes it really difficult to have discussion in the classroom. And when I do get my little snippet in, you know, usually the kids, they, they take up for Bernie because, you know, they're not in the movement. They, they're weak on the theory. And they're going to listen to whatever he tells them because he's just got that kind of personality. He doesn't facilitate facilitate other ideas so well. So when I speak up, you know, what comes out doesn't – I don't get, like, the full ideas. I don't get to really materialize what I'm actually trying to say. But on the other hand, he – we for this class, we have a midterm and a final paper. And he's actually suggested that I do my midterm on veganism, which the whole class has to read. 
and for my final, The Abolitionist Movement. And I don't know if the whole class gets to read that or not. I hope they do because I just don't get to fully articulate what it actually is. And, of course, the syllabus is completely devoid of any mention of abolitionism. You know, there's Reagan, there's Singer, all, all that crap, even Temple Grandin. But there's no Gary Francione. And so it's just – it's very, very biased, and I, and I try my best to get my voice in there. But because I'm the only one and it's me against the whole class, it's really difficult for me to articulate – like really get get it to them what I'm trying to say it's basically me defending myself most of the time oh my goodness I am so proud of you Corey you're amazing I try. that's 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 great it means a lot too that when I come home from this class you know I can get online and be around other abolitionists and I'm not so isolated so it's great to have that. I'm really glad the Twitter thing has taken off and all of that because everyone's blogging now. You know, when this first started with the, when Gary Francione like exploded on Vegan Freak, it was just like a, a void. But in the past, was it been two, maybe two, three years since that happened? It's blown up. I know that's the point. Yeah, it's 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 only just begun, but it's it's exponential. That's what I really have, That's what I really feel. All right, so um, I just want to apologize to everybody listening that I didn't know who Bernie Rowland was. I'm still very, um, I'm still learning, you know, about all the people and things involved. So, um, but I am, I am still naive enough, I guess, to be um, quite shocked and sad that a professor of animal quote-unquote rights is not vegan and is actually against veganism as a personal concept of life. So he, in other words, thinks that it's wrong to be vegan? Uh, I think he sees it more as a waste of time. I don't think he thinks it's wrong. He just thinks it's ineffectual and, you know, utopian. But, I mean, I'm talking personally. In his life, you can't, you don't know. He's never had a chance to justify it to you. No, I have no idea why he's personally is not vegan, especially when he writes, I mean, he's got one of the founding books on animal rights theory. I don't understand how he... Has, there's this dis- disconnect between what he writes and what he believes and practices. I don't know. I mean, he's never really explained it to me, so I can't say. All right, fair enough. So we will. That's a mystery. So we'll never <laughs> know. <laughs> we'll never know. Um, okay, so I'm just going to let you roll with it. Well, I have two stories I can share that have just blown me away. And this this is like a good example of like where this huge disconnect is. Uh, one one time he attacked me because I mean his basic attack on me is that I. I basically just want to let animals suffer because it's good for the movement, which, of course, is not true. But uh, apparently there's this, this new horse horse slaughter ban in America where it's now illegal in the United States to slaughter horses. So now, of course, they're being shipped to Canada and Mexico where, you know, the standards are even less. And so he's he thinks that's a terrible idea. And, you know, I agree. You know, we shouldn't be using horses at all. But he thinks, you know. <laughs> Now what's happening is people in Colorado, at least, are just dumping their horses on the side of the road left to starve. And I guess that's what I want, you know. It's just like, no, it's just, he has no understanding of what I'm actually fighting for. I'm, I'm fighting for no more domesticated animals. And to follow up with that, the other story was uh, our last class we talked about euthanasia and companion animals. And you know, is it okay to breed certain breeds because it's bad for the animal? And here I'm thinking uh, we shouldn't be breeding them at all. And so then we talk about euthanasia, and well, it comes up that he's actually designing this uh, high-pressure uh, euthanasia device. I don't know much about it. He briefly mentioned it in class, but it's for uh, research animals, you know, that are spent and they're discarded. So for him, he's doing a great thing. Like uh, he's making this new device that kills them more humanely, as opposed to the traditional method of carbon dioxide or whatever it is, where they like suffocate and it's painful. Now, surely I'm for that. I mean, I'm for like less pain, less suffering. But would I personally invest my time into a death chamber or would I invest my time into vegan education and challenging the notion that we should be using animals, period? So I think those two stories like really illustrate this disconnect that we have. I mean, he truly thinks that but what he's doing is helping these animals. But in actuality, all it's doing is perpetuating this belief that animals are there to use. Exactly. So the thing that's really, really getting to me now that I'm starting to get, I feel your frustration and I just wish I could be in that class with you. Just, you know, to, to back me you too. up. Me <laughs> too. Because you know what's really sad, what really is sad about this is he obviously has never read anything 
that Gary Francione has written. If he's read it, he hasn't... It's like, you know how you can hear what somebody says, but you only hear what's going on inside your own head? You know, you don't hear, you're not hearing, you're not listening to what they're saying, you're hearing what you want to hear. Because nobody who understands the abolitionist perspective would ever accuse an abolitionist of saying that it's a good idea to dump horses by the side of the road to starve. <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah, so that's <laughs> the thing that frustrates me as well when I'm dealing with people. So I love the fact that Gary's coming out now with these podcasts that say this is what the abolitionist position is, but he's been doing that for 20 years anyway. It's like, you know, it's very obvious, but it's what it is is our job. I mean, I think with this guy... You're actually, I mean, it's an incredible position you're in. There's no way that you can get a word in edgewise and you can't stand up and do do your, um, uh, you know, you can't make your point. He won't allow you to finish your sentences and he won't allow you to even promote position. But I think that you have every right to tell him that, you know, um, you, you don't understand the abolitionist position. So unless you allow me to explain it or unless you go and read it, you're uh, making unfair assumptions and then you're not allowed, you're not a- enabling me to defend them. And if you, ch- if you say that to him, I mean, that's, um, you know, as a teacher, I mean, that's a little bit, because he can't keep, because that's, that's like, um, putting ideas in students' heads, you see, because like when we go on, when we go online and stuff like that and argue with people that welfareists, they'll say that you just want all the animals now to suffer for your ego or something like that. And it's really, really insidious and really, really, um, just a really low blow, like a real cheap shot. And it comes from their complete and utter ignorance about the theory because they've never read it because they have to, they would have to admit that that they were wrong. And so that's the thing that I think is the most frustrating about this. When I argue with people who, I mean, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with anybody who's actually read and understood the theory. Because you know what? Everybody who reads and understands it, they become supporters. So that's the really frustrating thing about our position is we're just dealing with people who who have, have never, ever, ever even make themselves read it because it's they would have to admit that they're wrong. This guy, Bernie, would have to go vegan and if he wanted to call himself an animal rights activist if he understood the abolitionist approach to animal rights, if he acknowledged, you know. So all these arguments about how useless the vegan movement is is pointless when you're talking to somebody who's not a vegan. It's pointless to even talk to them. It's like, that's, you might as well go and talk to somebody who's running a sex slave, you know, operation. Because <sighs> I, I was on a conversation with a guy who's actually an industrial exploiter, which I never do. He's actually a farmer. And he was like, you have to prove your case about soil, you know, trying to say you need animals. Um, that, because I guess humans aren't animals and we don't make manure. So we have to enslave animals to use their manure in order to grow our vegan crops. And when I challenged him on that... Um, he he really lost a lot of steam, but he kept saying to me, "You have to prove your case better. You have to prove your. You have to learn more about soil. You don't know anything." And I said, "Look, you use animals. Not only do you eat them yourself, but you actually make money off of them. So why would I? I say I don't talk to you. I talk to your customers. I talk to your customers because if I'm trying to talk to you, it's like talking to somebody who sells women and children and makes money off of it about the immorality of selling women and children. You're making money off of it. So, you know, um, why why am I gonna you know why why should I convince you about using different soil? You you don't care about that. You haven't got to, we haven't got to the fundamental problem. The fundamental problem is that they don't think it's morally wrong. So it always comes back to speciesism. The sad thing is, and that a lot of anti-abolitionists don't realize is this is why we're so committed to exposing the hypocrisy of what the welfare movement that as it exists because we have animal rights professors teaching animal rights who denounce veganism and are not vegan so yeah we have we have to deal with an incredible amount of of detrimental activity yeah did did you see the cup that he had in chipotle (laughs) That I put a I had an examiner article about it a couple of weeks ago, where he actually has he has his quotes on on the Chipotle cups where he, <laughs> my favorite quote was they said, well he made us see that what we're doing is right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh okay. <laughs> I mean if they put my name on the cup and said that I made them see that what they're doing is right, I would take them to court in a heartbeat. That's outrageous. Well, he is making, he uh, he does think what they're doing is right if they're buying, you know, um, quote-unquote human. He's not allowed to call himself animal rights. That's that's just wrong. Like, we got, we got we to gotta get away from this. We've got to call them out on that because, like, even, like, the SPCA, like, 
I get into arguments with people, and then they they get all angry and say, "You don't, you know, the SPCA saves cats and dogs." I say, "Look, I I don't want them to stop saving cats and dogs. I want them to stop calling themselves animal rights. I want them to stop." Saying that they represent animal rights because it confuses people. We represent animal rights. They represent cats and dogs. They represent that you should spay and neuter your pet. They represent that you should feed and, and, and provide shelter to your pet. Hey, am I going to try to stop people from protecting pets while they still exist? Of course not. That's not my issue. And I get really angry when people try to say that you they save animals and you're putting them down. How dare you? You know, go against people who are actually saving animals and like. And, and I'm sure he takes it very personally, thinking that you're... Because they get very twisted and they take it very personal. So he, he, in his twisted mind, you'd rather that the dogs and cats were still gassed um, rather than his fantastic, painless slaughter device. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more then. Let's get off the, so the topic of him because, to be honest, um, I really applaud you. I think it's great that you're doing the class. I think it's fantastic that you're going to write your paper on veganism and that you're going to do your final paper on the abolitionist approach. Educate them because they don't. They, he, he's obviously refused to read it um, or to take it in, I should say. He's refused to take it in. Um, but um, So that's really great. But let's talk a little bit more then about... You know, you, you're doing your dissertation on veganism. Am I, is, am I using the right word, dissertation? Is that the correct word? Yeah, yeah. It's it's like an extended thesis for doctorate students. When I moved here to Colorado, um, I left Virginia Tech. I was doing Appalachian studies as a master's student in sociology. But, you know, I'm from Appalachia. I care about, you know, injustice in Appalachia, but I'm more committed to animal rights. So I chose Colorado State because it's very uh, environmentally focused. And uh, I was very shocked when I came here because, yes, everyone's environmentally focused, but there's a complete absence of the animal rights issue. And like Virginia Tech, Colorado State is a very agriculturally based, you know, historically school. And it's got a big animal agricultural thing going on here. And a lot of the economy here is based on it. We have a lot of, a lot of the uh, beef production goes on here. I mean, we can smell the, the feedlots when the wind blows. I mean, so... There's a lot of investment in not talking about the animal issue. So I was absolutely disgusted when I came and met all my new colleagues. And there was a few vegetarians, a couple vegans, but, you know, no one really challenged the animal rights thing. And I was just so disgusted that this was an environmentally based program, but we ignored the animal rights issue. So I figured it would be a really good opportunity to take advantage of the environmental, uh, environmentally focused faculty here, but pull in my own animal rights stuff. And then I saw it was a larger issue. The environmental movement at large really ignores the animal issue, which is ridiculous. I mean, because of the pollution involved, the resources involved, and uh, several reports are saying that it's more detrimental to the earth than transportation, which you know most people don't even think about that. They think about driving their cars. So uh, I wanted to look into that. It was completely under-researched. And uh, then I got Gary Francione on, and I told him about this, you know, why is it that the environmental movement talks about recycling and changing light bulbs, but they don't talk about eating animal products? And he said, well, you know, it's besides the point. The real point is, why are we, you know, not recognizing them as persons, and why aren't we, you know, as environmentalists, we need to respect them as persons. If we care about nature, we should care about animals and the animals' interests. So uh, once I got Gary on there, it just it's taken the spin where, you know, the normal vegan critique is, you know, if you care about the environment, then don't worry about recycling so much as eating animals. You should go vegan because you care about the environment. Well, if you care about the environment and you care about those in the environment, you should be vegan for that reason too. And I think that's very important because the other way around it, I, I, Bob Torres wrote a quick article about this once where he really criticized the environmental aspect of veganism because we focus more on the environment, less so on the animals. And uh, I don't know if you read it. He, ta he gives the analogy of uh, uh, the concentration camps. Should we care about the pollution that's coming from the concentration camps or should we care about those in the concentration camps? And that's what Gary, like, he pulled that out of me. So right now my, my dissertation is focusing on the intrinsic value of non-humans and also the secondary fact that it's causing havoc on the environment. So if you're an environmentalist, you should care about the intrinsic value of animals, which means respecting them as persons, and also secondarily about the pollution that it causes. So that's what I'm looking at right now. It's uh, still in the beginning stages. I haven't uh, done a proposal yet, but uh, 
I don't know. I mean, it's in the beginning stages, and it's really exciting to have Gary on there. And uh, some of the faculty from my own department are very environmentally um, – well, they're recognized in the, in the movement, the environmental movement. So it's, it should be a good project. I'm really excited about it. I think that's absolutely fantastic. And I think that that's – I'm so glad that you're taking that angle because that is the angle that's going to make any change because nothing's going to change unless we can change the fundamental way people think about animals anyway because if they could find an environmental way to do to do it they'll do it but unless we change the way they think about the animals they'll never think about it so it is it is a secondary issue so and i just love the fact that you're doing this at such a place you see this is this is what we have to do i'm i'm in almost the same position as you i'm pretty much you know in new zealand and it's all very so you know if we weren't here nobody would be so it's hard and everything like that but um we're we're all we're all sort of just doing it in our in our own places but i always always take that um angle with everybody i'm in fact i've been involved very recently in speaking with someone who is an, who is a he who is a small scale farmer who disputes everything and says no you can do it this way and you can do it that way and I said yeah you know what I really don't care because you're missing the point the point is is that you shouldn't be doing it at all because they you know you shouldn't they're non-human persons and we don't need to do it he says we need to do it we have to do it and I said why because we need manure I say humans have you know we, we we're animals we make manure oh well no um well anyway you know your movement is doomed because you know you don't have enough scientific proof to do it because I said you know what we don't need scientific proof we need a shift in, in thinking and then we'll get we'll, we'll we'll all come together and do it and the demand will shift in and the you know the, the demand will shift production i mean if we can come up with a tiny handheld screen because people demanded a tiny handheld screen that you can touch with your finger to make jump around we can figure out vegan agriculture to, you know what i'm saying it's like come on give me a break so that that's my angle i think that that's great so i'm really excited for you so how so with regard to doing your phd and and doing this angle and everything do you um do you have to do you have to get it approved by people like does it have to go through people before you can even begin or have you gotten that already The good thing about the sociology department I don't I can't speak for others but uh they really uh nurture your creativity and your own interests so that that's what I love about this department anything you want to do they will find a way to work it in So uh actually my director not the director the uh chair of my committee his name is Michael Carolyn. He's he's kind of a big name in the environmental sociology movement, and he's extremely excited about it. He teach he does a lot of uh, agricultural um, research and food systems and things like that. So he, while he himself is he's not a vegetarian or vegan or anything like that, but he's very very supportive of it. And uh, another member of my committee who's the director of the program, Mike Lacey, he's also um, pretty big in the environmental sociology movement, to my knowledge. I haven't really read any of his stuff. He's vegetarian. So uh, he understands, you know, at least the secondary issue of the impact of uh, animal agriculture on the earth. So, I mean, he's vegetarian for that reason and not ethical reasons. So hopefully if through this project he'll yeah exactly if he's if he's vegetarian for that reason he's really really missed a big chunk of of the of the truth so yeah i'm glad that you're around him i'm glad for them that you're there and i'm also glad for all of us so and you say these guys are some pretty big players in the environment movie see this, i know michael carolyn is yes yeah, that's fantastic Corey. because you see this is where it begins you know this is where it begins because it's like you know, we need environmentalists, we need scientists, we need doctors, we need all these people to be vegans for, for the right reason because they're the ones who know how to do this stuff. Because, like, I'm debating with people about the ethical implications and they're like, what about um, such and such scientific da 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 da? And I'm like, you know what? I'm not a scientist. We need more vegan scientists to help you answer that question. Right now, let's just address the fact that you're still, you know, and then I always try to bring it back to that because people expect me to know physics. Geology, chemistry, you know, <laughs> astronomy, everything, if they want me to convince them to go vegan. And I'm like, no, 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 you're missing the point. So I just love the fact that you are, because I do, you know, what astonishes me is that the environmental movement hasn't cottoned on quicker than they are. 
I mean, it's just astonishing to me. And I think it all comes down to this, pers- this, this speciesism that is, is rampant in our society. Well, no, we have to keep using animals. I mean, it's just, you know, so we'll, we'll figure out how to do our environmental... I mean, did you know that in New Zealand they're experimenting on um, the ruminants to make them burp less and fart less? Yes, I did see that article. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, seriously. I mean, seriously. So that, that, that still doesn't address the fundamental concepts. So, yay, that's a brilliant thing that you're doing. I love it. I can't wait to read it. I know you have a lot of work ahead of you. Um, and I know it's been extremely stressful dealing with... I, I honestly, I can't imagine what it's like to be in that class because it must be really hard to be misrepresented by the teachers and then not have a chance to defend yourself. I will say, though, in the sociology department, it's because we are... I think the primary focus of sociology is uh, is studying inequalities. So they're a little bit more open-minded when I bring in the animal issue. And I also wanted to point this out for anyone who's a student and listening to this. When I got to grad school, you know, the animal issue is absent, of course. No one talks about it. And I remember uh, last year when I first got here, I was taking a course on contemporary social theory. And we were talking about, you know, who's included in society? Can they... Do they understand symbols? Do they have language and blah, blah, blah? So I challenged that and said, well, you know, I think animals have their own language and they use symbolism. I mean, my cat sees symbolism in the litter box. Sometimes it's a toy and sometimes it's a place to go to the bathroom. I mean, he sees symbolism. Well, I mean, the the class got really into it. You know, it was really challenging to the norm of what we were talking about. And then the professor cuts in and says, you know what? We're never going to know if animals do or not. So let's just get back to the main topic. And when I was shut down, when she shut me down for bringing up a very important issue, animals are part of our society, and it's, I think it's very ignorant to exclude them from our discussions and theory. After that shutdown, I realized, you know what, the animals are absent, but people are failing to bring it up. They're failing to question the norms. So ever since then, and this is my advice to other students, Every single chance I got in discussion, I would bring up the animal issue. I would make the animal issue relevant. Every single chance I got in homework assignments and final papers, I would bring in the animal issue. And, you know, pretty soon, you know, you're with these kids every day. You're with these uh, faculty members every day. They begin to understand the issues. They understand where you're coming from. And they're exposed to things that otherwise they wouldn't be exposed to. So I think it's very important. Even if the animal issue is absent where you are, you know, there's opportunities to bring it in. And, and and you will be I think you'll you'll be respected to a degree for like you know bringing in something that's ignored and you know going out on your own and you know not just following the beaten path so I really want to encourage students out there who have that opportunity you know don't let a term paper go to waste use that term paper for activism because these colleagues like they're going to go out in the world and write and research and think and philosophize and theorize if you can have one little seed of doubt in their mind that the animal issue, you know, should be absent, like they shouldn't be aware of the animal issue. And I, I, I grew to see that as, as the courses have gone by and I've had more classes with these students. I see that they're, sometimes they bring in the animal issues themselves, you know, I mean, because it's interesting to them that it's, it's not talked about much and it's new and it's increasingly relevant the more I explain it. So I just want other students to know that they should... <laughs> not pass up an opportunity just because it's absent in their curriculum. I think that's fantastic advice, and um, I, I would say the same just in life in general, to be absolutely honest. Um, but no, wonderful, wonderful thing to say, because you are in an educational place, and, they, and this is when minds are open, and you're not just challenging people while they're trying to eat, you're actually challenging people while they're studying these, then they are relevant. They're what's called, now somebody said that, I think it was Francis Glass said it, um, absent no, it's a very common, it's like a really famous term. You should know it. The absent... Absent um, referring? There you go. They're the absent no, referring. Carol Adams. <laughs> okay, Carol Adams said it, but he quoted it on my show. That's the first time I heard it, because like I say, I'm still really new to all this. Um, and then I went and read it, um, read what she said. So yeah, I think that you're right, and I'm, gl- I'm really glad that you're doing that, because you see, it just takes one to get that ball rolling, you know? It just takes one, and as long as we're silent, it will never, ever happen. And they are, they're just not, they are completely excluded, so... Um, wonderful advice. I know that William does it in his school, um, and um, I do it um, in mine um, as much as I possibly can. And um, um, and it is for people who are for people who are um, they just want to be quiet. You know, they they don't want to cause problems and stuff like that. It is. I know it's not easy, but the thing is, we have a lot 
of reason to do it. Like it is actually above us and be, it's actually it's bigger than us. So it's kind of like gives me strength in a way because I was one of those people. I hate conflict and I just want to, you know, I just would just agree with people just because I couldn't be bothered arguing. But now when people say, you know, horrible things or when they, you know, because you know how it is. I mean, people get very, very hostile. The thing that gives us strength is, you know, what, who are we doing? You know, who are, the, are these absent, you know, absent um, persons? <laughs> the refer yeah, the absent referent. Exactly. So it does help. It does help to um, to make me more determined to overcome my own, you know, shyness or my own um, insecurities and fear. It's all fear. I'm scared of people you know, saying horrible things to me or saying, get out of my face, you know, mind your own business and things like that. But when you're in face-to-face, -face, it doesn't really happen that much. Not no, really. No, it does not. You're right. You're right. And online, it can be a whole different story. And I'm so interested that you're studying sociology as well. Are you in touch with Roger Yates um, quite a bit? Uh, to a degree. Again, there's the time zone thing. <laughs> oh, I yeah. catch it mostly on Twitter, you know. Uh, I was hoping that he would uh, be able to put some input on my dissertation, especially because I'm doing, I'm, I'm seeing, looking at veganism as a social movement, and I know he's got a little bit of expertise on that. I, I saw he wrote a couple of articles about it, and uh, yeah, and it's the sociology thing. That's why it really it worries me that the animal rights issue is so absent because sociology looks at in, in, inequalities, and for the animal rights thing to be absent, that's why it just fired me up. As how can we sit here and talk about social theory and exclude animals because we'll never know if they have language and it's like it doesn't matter i mean they're suffering and several times i'd bring this up and you know, we're talking about you know the atrocities of the little asian women in the sneaker factories and i said listen i know that's terrible and I, I agree it's terrible let's try and stop it but let's recognize that there are billions and billions and billions of animals being slaughtered needlessly every freaking year you know so why is it that we're focusing on this, this this population of people in the sneaker factories when there's billions and billions of deaths going on in front of our eyes and we just turn a blind eye to it because it's not part of the sociological norm to discuss it? Well, the reason why is, and I'm not an expert, is because it confronts their personal actions. They're not in the sneaker factory um, forcing the women to work. They're maybe not even buying those sneakers. They might not buy those sneakers, but they sure are buying the animals. So it's very very personal it's a very personal issue when I say personal I don't mean like other people say it's a personal decision I mean it's a personal issue you're getting into somebody's life and what they do on a daily basis and yes people are going to be defensive about that but too bad we can't be quiet about it so but that's I would say that that has a lot to do with it like your sociology professor I mean for all you know we don't know what's going through their mind um, when I was confronted with it um, you know, I had to change. I went vegan because I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, oh, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, Coincidentally, she was an ex-vegetarian. <laughs> that may have something to do with your theory here. Well, you know, and um, even, you know, and then even vegetarians, um, if you confront them on the fact that they the fact that they're still they're omnivores basically um, they um, it gets very personal with them because they've really been told that they're doing a, a very helpful thing and then to be told you're not and the same with welfareists as well it's very personal and it's just so unfortunate it's like forget about yourself for one second get over it for a second you know and it's it's not an easy thing to do and it's um, and also um, I think I mean, for me, I mean, I know for, it's a family thing. It's like Christmas this year. I'm not doing it. I'm not going there. How long have you been? How long have you been vegan? It's two years now in October. So yeah, I can understand. Yeah, I know. I had dealt with that myself when I first went vegan, but now my family is totally understanding, and but they still. Like, I I do. I I boycott Thanksgiving here. I don't go home for Thanksgiving, and I tell my mom if you want to not put. A dead turkey on the table i'll be there but other than that i think that you'll find that your family will grow to learn as you learn and it won't be so hard after a while oh no it's not that hard that they're there that, that they're hostile about it it's that they um because they're only just learning about it now because i've only been back for about a year and a half and i only were like 
maybe I actually went vegan right before I left New York. So they're only just hearing about these things now. So they've never been confronted. But I'm talking about like Christmas as these years and years of happy memories. We had Chex Mix. I don't know if you have yeah, Chex Mix. Yeah, I've actually I remember it. I lived in the states yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Every Christmas, Mom made the Chex Mix, and it was you know my grandma used to make it, then Mom made it, and I said, well, I can't have it. It's got the Worcestershire sauce in it with the anchovies or whatever. And so she found a vegan version, and every Christmas she makes it vegan. We don't do the big, huge family get-togethers. That's just my mother and my two brothers. But she's—that's what really gets me. My two brothers are totally open to being like having. Veg- they're not vegetarian or vegan, but they're totally open to having vegan food. But my mom is just all about the tradition, and I get the checks mix and I have to cook the rest for myself. <laughs> but you know, that's why I just don't come home for Thanksgiving, Christmas. I can't exactly get out of because the family is so small. I guess. I mean, I don't boycott everything. I think it's very important to be there for the absent referent and all that. I don't totally boycott meals. I don't think that you should only. I. So it's, it's one of those really ever-changing issues, and it's a really hard one. What do you do? Well, I usually sort of take it occasion by occasion. And as far as I'm concerned, if there is a chance to stand up and be a, a voice, well, some people argue there always is. But if there is a, if if what I'm doing is, is kind of conforming to the fact that. I mean, with my family, I'm, I've already told them if you want to eat with me, it's vegan because I think that um, they, I respect them enough to respect me that much. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, at work and things like that, there may be times, but I prefer not to be around it because it's personally upsetting to me. But then, um, it just depends on what kind of an advocate you are. If you're good at, at being at the actual food, you know, moment. But the thing that makes me laugh is like. Everybody around me is wearing leather shoes, and I'm talking about animal exploitation and and um, and you know how we skin them. We just like the way their skin looks on us and stuff. And I can see people, you know, looking at their shoes and stuff. So, I mean, is it really any different while they're eating? I think I don't know. Yeah, but it's it's one of those ever-changing things. I I have made no definite decisions. I take it t- occasion by occasion. I take it sort of time by time with regard to the food thing. Anyway, I'm totally, yeah, I'm going off on a tangent because that's what I do, so I don't want to start, I don't want to start rambling. Um, alrighty, so Corey, is there anything um, else that you want to say um, at all while I've still got you on the air before I let you get back to your studies? Well, there's one more thing I wanted to, wanted to talk about, student activism. I've had an issue with this. When I was at Virginia Tech, when I became president of that group, it was pretty much functionally dead. And I think there's a lot of hesitancy with people who want to be active, but there's no group and you don't know what to do. I just want to let people know it's not hard to start your own group. There are departments in each university that are set up to facilitate it. So even if it's you by yourself, you can start a group. And it snowballs so fast. And there's people, there's always people out there who are interested in this. So all you have to do is put up flyers and uh, send out emails, word of mouth. And I did that when I came here to Colorado State. It's such a green university and yet no animal rights group. So I started one up and I made it explicitly abolitionist. I didn't want any confusion. Uh, when I was at Virginia Tech, we had a little bit of issues with that. It was mostly abolitionist, but there were a few people who weren't very comfortable with it. So when I came here and started a new group from scratch, I made it explicitly abolitionist. But uh, I had to make a decision. When this semester started, it really took off. We had a lot of interested people. And uh, the president of the group, I was advisor because I'm a graduate student and I couldn't be the president. Well, the president was decidedly welfareist. She was vegan and she was all about ending animal use, but she was decidedly welfareist. And unfortunately, like they took a, t- a turn with a group that, I mean, despite the constitution of the group, which said this is an abolitionist group, it just turned into this welfare, blah, 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 blah. And I had to step down. I just wasn't comfortable with it anymore. And I don't know. It's, I don't know if I'm, uh, th- that's, I kind of strayed away from offering advice. And then I just come to this personal problem. I, I, like I had, I talked a lot with uh, Adam about this. He thought that maybe I should stay and like put in my abolitionist opinion, but it was just, if I have to stand out there and promote a meat-free Monday and fur-free Fridays after, like, I made my point very clear to the group. I didn't agree with this. I don't think it's very useful. Actually, it's counterproductive. I don't know. I just – this whole thing with the, the student 
activism and the groups and things like that, I don't know where my stance is anymore. I feel like I'm more effective as an individual nowadays, you know? That's interesting. I need to pick your brains. I'm so glad you brought this up. I have just started going to um, university this semester, and I'm actually in a small city university, so it's there's no campus. There's very low student participation. It's a majority of um, immigrant um, students, so they speak English as a second language. It's it's like the um, you know how there's like I can only compare it. It's like it's like there's Auckland University, which is like the NYU, and then there's AUT, which is like the City College, and that's the only reference that I have. So I don't know if you know anything, but like City College is like the community college, and then you have NYU, which is in Columbia, which is like you have to have a lot of money to go there. So I've always sort of done the other ones. So I have. A, I'm so glad that you brought this up. I need advice because I started a group. And I'm I'm literally started a group, and I'm on the group's web page, and I called it the Abolitionist Vegans Group, and I refused to call it the Vegetarian Group, and I didn't call it the Animal Rights Group. Do you think I should call it the Animal Rights Group and maybe get more people? Because we had a group meeting the other week, and um, I do have flyers out, and um, I do have posters out, and the girl got in touch with me from the poster, but. Um, I'm wondering, because it is about marketing, I refuse to say vegetarian. I know some people do say vegetarian, and then it is vegan, um, in other words. So I don't quite know either. Like I'm like, well, okay, because I am totally abolitionist the same as you. I won't do a welfareist group. So what I'm asking you is, what was your group, what was it called? Was it animal rights? Or was it veganism? The group, I, the group I started here, I had the same issue. I decided to call it the Animal Advocacy Coalition, and... The thing is, though, the majority of the members we got, I did a, uh, we had a student group orientation where it's basically the, the communal place on campus. All the groups set up a booth, and so I set up my booth, and we had over a hundred signatures. But every single time I handed out literature and got a signature, I explained to them, said so we are a vegan group. You don't have to be vegan to join. Obviously, I'm not going to discriminate, but we are a vegan group. We do abolitionist vegan activism. That's all we're going to do. We're not going to do like pro-vegetarian meat out Monday stuff. And so I made it clear when I met people face to face, I told them this is what it was. But unfortunately in my case, you know, the president of the group who I thought was on terms with me, you know, turned out to not be, and she kind of usurped the group, but you know, that's the way you can get around it is as you meet people individually. And usually when they come to you, they're like, what's this group all about? And that's your chance to be like, well, so would you suggest changing the name to animal rights or something rather than vegan? Because I'm not going to call it vegetarian. No, don't. Yeah, I wouldn't do that either. But yeah, I guess with vegan, a lot of people have misconceptions about that, even though if they were to join the group as like under the more generic name, then they would be surrounded by all this veganism. I think that's more encompassing. That way we get people from like the vet school and people who work for humane societies and things like that. And they don't have to necessarily believe what we believe initially, but once they're in the group and they're around other people, I mean, that happened in Virginia Tech. We had a lot of people who came in as welfareists and vegetarians, but because they were active within our group, they learned about it and they became vegan. Yeah, that was my point. And and I when I when I write the literature it basically says vegan abolitionist and then it says animal rights and it says if you're interested in animals, the environment if you care about animals and you're interested in the environment and I add those other things as well. Um, but like I say, I had a group meeting and there's like there's like well, there's actually five. I mean there's five groups and they're called clubs, but it's the same thing, like chess club. And they were all complaining and there was no members, none of them had any members and they were complaining about the marketing and they were complaining about all this stuff. So it's actually quite, I mean, it's not like the same as Auckland University, but bottom line is I'm still working on my tactics because I do want to get people to come because this, the thing is, is when you get people to talk about it, then they get interested. you got to get them there, but I don't want to get them there on false pretenses. I don't want to get them there on, um, you know, where, you know, I mean, I, I keep it real right from the start. So I, I think maybe I will change the name to animal something and that might attract more people. And then when I meet them, they can be clear about it. But I think maybe if they're looking at it, because I thought it would attract people abolitionists because I thought it sounded really sort of like, I don't know, to me, it's kind of a, an interesting name. It attracts my attention. Yeah, I, I agree. Maybe, maybe you should just give it a try and well, I've because already all started. Start out. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm give, I might keep it going. The flyers look really good. I might just keep it going. Um, yeah, see if it works because it, it would be a lot be better to bring because that, that's another thing I have a problem with 
is we have a vegetarian restaurant in town that's actually vegan, but they call it a vegetarian restaurant. And so, you know, you're undermining the whole vegan movement when you don't recognize veganism as a legitimate, you know what I mean? I noticed that there's a lot of places doing that, like saying vegetarian. And I'm thinking, you know, it would be nice to have that word back. But the bottom line, in my culture, and I know in your culture, because you see, we're also dealing with a lot of Eastern cultures. And in their culture, vegetarianism, a lot of them, maybe not India, but a lot of the Asian cultures, vegetarianism means you're veg- you don't eat plant, you don't eat um, eggs, you don't eat meat, you don't eat fish. It's vegetarianism. But in the Western culture, it's totally not. And anyway, it's not just about diet anyway. You know, so it is very sad to me that people, I think we got to wait on taking that word back. We got to get people turned on to animal use is wrong before we start worrying about saying, let's take the word vegetarian back because vegetarian is just a diet anyway. It's just a diet. So I really always do say vegan, vegan. And I told the restaurant here, we have a wonderful vegan restaurant, finally. I love them, the golden age. And um, they... Um, are from China because it's Supreme, you know, Supreme Master TV. It's one of their their restaurants, and um, everything is like go veg. But they do say some vegan. They do say this, and I always talk. Uh, I've talked to them many times, and I said, look, in New Zealand, you have to say vegan because if you say vegetarian, you mean everything from fish to chicken. I mean, I have a friend who's vegetarian, but she eats fish and chicken, and eggs <laughs> and milk and. And I said, look, you got to say vegan because they're vegan. They're against animal use. I mean, there are a lot of them as there are a lot of as environmental, but they are very, very much concerned with with the animals and things. I'm not quite sure enough about the whole um, the, their whole movement, but I know they promote veganism and they have vegan restaurants. So I love them. But with regard awesome. to yeah, it's awesome. But they do say vegetarian a lot. And I said to them, I've made a, a point to talk to is meet like there's only it's a very small place is to say to them, you have to say vegan here. So on their menu it says vegan and on their Aww. website it says the the Auckland it says the Golden Age vegan restaurant New Zealand vegan restaurant oh <laughs> I mean job. I don't know if that was me but I, I did notice it I did notice that but a lot of their literature says vegetarian so when I hand out the literature because I do because I want people to eat there because I don't want them to go under because I we need them to survive I say every time you see the word vegetarian in this pamphlet it means veganism <laughs> I say that to them. I'm like, just replace the word because it'll use both. And I'm like, you can't use both. You can't say vegetarian slash vegan. And nothing that makes me laugh is when they put suitable for vegetarians and vegans. It's like, just put vegans because that covers both. You know, so yeah, we've got a long way to go. So I agree with you about that. I do, I do think they should call themselves a vegan restaurant. Um, it's, it's, um, we're, it's our job to change the stigma about veganism. And we're not going to do that by, by sort of being too scared to use it. So I'm always very much in support of promoting it. So, and by the sounds of it, you are too. So yay. Yay. Yeah. I'm so glad I finally got to talk to you and interview you. You're doing some wonderful things. You're fascinating. And, you know, you've got to come back on and, you know, just let us know how you're going with your, you know, with your, um, PhD because I think it's just a fantastic thing to be doing and you're inspiring me to do something because I'm back in school and I'm doing interpreting and communication and I'm thinking I want to do more I don't know I'm, I, I think I think school university is a good place to do this stuff because these are the you know these are the future and stuff like that yeah. so academia is, is really it's really lacking in the animal rights movement and academia like they have this influence so I think everyone who's a student or works at a university, it's, you have a lot of responsibility. You have so much influence. Yeah. And if anyone out there listening has any pertinent articles that might be helpful, please email them to me. <laughs> I have to put that out there. Yeah, fantastic. Um, well, you can be found on, ve- on the Roanoke Vegan Examiner, correct? Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm kind of so- new to it. Yeah, I haven't had time to really work on it as, as much as I'd want to. Oh, but the articles you've done are, are so great. So don't, you know, you Thank can't you. do everything. That's the thing. We also have to remember we only have 24 hours in the day, just like everybody else. So the fact that you've done these articles is great. But I'm just talking about with regard to people emailing you. They can get you through there, yeah? Yeah. Yep, okay, yep. so they can go to Roanoke Vegan Examiner. There's a link on my blog, and they can and you can email Corey any relevant articles to help her um, along uh, with her um with all the studying and the, the stuff that she's doing. And if 
anyone wants to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, C-O-W-R-E-N-N. I need more followers, people. Okay, <laughs> please follow. And I recommend following her on Twitter, on Twitter, especially if you want to hear some funny anecdotes about Bernie Rollin. No, no, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, but for real, it's, it is actually a great medium. I think um, I'm getting a lot of really um, amazing um, articles and things off Twitter. So, um, yeah. And it's just good to be in touch, you know. And you pull, you pull people out of the closet. Because there are abolitionists yep. hiding everywhere, but they're just a little mm -hmm. too scared to speak out because, like, as you know, you can just be sort of slam dunked by the majority, but we got to come yeah. out of the closet, everybody. Come out of the closet, you abolitionists, because we need you. It's begun. <laughs> Don't be scared anymore. We're growing, so it's actually, you know what I mean? It's actually quite yeah. cool. It's, but even if we weren't, see, once you read the theory and once you get it, you just you do it even if you're all alone in the middle of flipping Alaska. I don't care because you just you just do. So it's 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 contagious in my opinion. So I'm yeah I'm really glad you're in that class and I commend you and well thank um, you for having me on. Oh it's been so great to have you on. Um thank you so much for everything you're doing for coming on the show. Keep in touch as always and um and we'll definitely have you back. All right. Well, thanks so much. It's great to meet you finally. <laughs> yeah, you too. One day we'll meet face to face. You never know. All right. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That was my interview with Corey Wren. And you can um, contact her through the Roanoke Vegan Examiner page. And there's a link um, in my link list. And I'll also put a link in this podcast synopsis. And, um, I really enjoyed having Corey on. And thank you so much for coming on. Please come back on again. And um, keep us posted on how things are going out there. So I hope everybody enjoyed the interview. And if you want to get in touch with Corey with articles and suggestions and things, please do email her through the Roanoke Vegan Examiner. All right, I'll be back um, next weekend because it's World Vegan Day, November 1st. I plan to do a couple of things. Uh, so, um, well, just be me. There won't be any big parties. <laughs> well, I'm not going to the parties because they're all welfarist parties. I'm having my own party. Okay, so keep keeping you posted i'll be i'll be back next week and thanks for listening and i always forget to do this if you want to email me uh, my email is nzveganpodcast at me.com and the blog spot is nzveganpodcast.blogspot.com bye